Guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. I know that this is going to sound bad right away, and it's going to sound like something that had like very grievous consequences. I don't know what the consequences will or won't be at the moment, but I'm pretty sure it's not as bad as it sounds. Last, last night at the bar, I was by myself with my phone, and I was getting curious about things, and I was Googling things, and then, while drinking... I sent an email to the CIA. I didn't say anything bad to the CIA, that, as I recall it, and I remember being like, oh, I'm not in the right state of mind, I probably shouldn't be doing this, let me be very careful with my wording. So I do trust my tipsy self to have not said anything terrible. That, that being said, I will concede that I should not be doing what I did. That I should not be sending questions to the Central Intelligence Agency during, for one thing, a major war in Europe, and secondly, when I'm halfway through my third pint. Now, what did I say to them? Well, to quote uh, my patron saint, Joseph Robinette, here's the deal. The first item of business for every president since the, the middle of the 20th century is a document called the PDB, which stands for the President's Daily Briefing. The PDB is an overview of the major threats to national security on that particular day, sometimes with apparently some speculation as to where a certain situation is inclined to go. It was Harry Truman, I think in 1945, who started the PDB because for one thing, World War II was still going on. And Truman took office not because he was originally elected, but because he was vice president to FDR. FDR died and then suddenly Truman found himself a wartime president. And as I think we've discussed on the show, one of the first orders of business once he was president is that people in his military inner circle were like, okay, so do you want to drop that nuclear bomb now? And he was like, I don't know. What's a nuclear bomb? Because the FDR was really private. So the war was still on. A bunch of shit was happening. And he wanted to make sure that the most urgent situations were communicated to him succinctly and at the top of the working day so that he could bear it in mind while making decisions for the next 12 hours. He also implemented it because he was kind of haunted by just how unprepared he was to assume control over the war, which isn't to say that he was lacking in leadership qualities or anything like that. Just as a vice president, he realized like the extent to which he had been left out of the loop and he was paranoid about that ever happening again. And I think, I might be wrong about this, but I think Truman is also the guy who made it so that in the months leading up to election, the leading presidential candidates start getting intelligence briefings. Although it might have been Eisenhower who started that. But anyways, Eisenhower did take the PDB practice on from Truman, and then Kennedy did, and then Johnson and Nixon. It has been an institution ever since. I, I, one of the first times I heard about this was there was a news story, I think it was in 2019. A reporter had said that Donald Trump was found to have attended just a scattered 17 of the past 85 consecutive daily intelligence briefings, which sounds like a pretty fucking awful ratio. But then someone in, in with CIA credentials said that both Clinton and Obama attended about the same number 
of presidential briefings. The major difference there, however, is that both Obama and Clinton were very big readers of the intelligence reports that were given to them every day. Whereas President Trump noted quite proudly that, along with going to very few intelligence briefings, he also did not really read anything that was given to him. But anyways, I looked online for copies of, like, any presidential daily briefing. Here and there on Google, you'd find one loose declassified page from a George W. Bush briefing or something pertaining to Vietnam. Frankly, I, I don't care when it's from, who was president, what is being discussed. I was just curious, am just curious, to see what it looks like. And I know this sounds like so fucking flighty and weird, but I am less interested in the intelligence that the document is communicating than I am interested in like how it's written. How do you organize all that information? Because I feel, I, uh, this is not my idea. It's just something that I heard from, I think from David Foster Wallace when I was a teenager and I've run with it ever since and it has haunted me, which is that the great intellectual challenge for most of the 20th century was cultivating information, going out into libraries and digging through the stacks and the card catalog and all that shit. Whereas now, in the age of the internet, the great intellectual challenge is the sifting of information because any question you type into Google, almost any question, you're gonna get thousands of replies. And now, certainly in the age where the phrase fake news is thrown around, and there is some legitimacy to that phrase, although it's used Perniciously, we are all increasingly guarded about the sources of the information that we consume. So, on the one hand, it does seem like a relatively new phenomenon that the average person is overwhelmed with a fucking tsunami of information. And you have to be very scrupulous about the fucking ones that you're gonna pay attention to, the ones that you're going to trust. And yes, that is a very decidedly modern problem for the everyday person, but there is a way in which that's just a historical problem, at least in the 20th century, for American presidents. Presidents stand at the at the base of a tsunami, an avalanche, whatever metaphor you want for this natural disaster that is the tide of intelligence and data and information that they receive on a daily basis and on the basis of which they have to make life or death decisions. So I'm interested to see how that shit was broken up and made succinct. Also, I'm curious about how it's written. Like, what, what kind of... I've never read a CIA or, like, Pentagon briefing. Like, are contractions frowned upon? Are they voicey? I imagine they find very competent writers to assemble these very these documents of very sensitive data. But I wonder, like, if you're hiring someone for that very, very sensitive, like, top-secret position, do you say to yourself, okay, I want someone who is both smart enough to understand all these things and who can write it and summarize it in a pithy way? Or do you trade, do you say, okay, I want someone who's brilliant and they're going to be able to process all of this information and then distill it to its essence, and I don't mind if they write in the way that Ferris Bueller's history teacher talks. So I, yes, I'm, I'm interested in the lore of the PDB. This, that, that's a, it's a fucking book. It's a book. It's a writerly thing that you are, this mystical notion that there is a sacred text that has secrets in it and only a select few robed special individuals at the top of the pyramid are able to read it. There's some mysticism there, there's some sensationalism, whatever, dude, I'm just fucking interested in the PDB as a document. And that is exactly what I tried to communicate when I said to the CIA, when I emailed them while I was drinking, 
Um, I just said, like, hey, I'm really big in presidential history. I've been reading a lot about the Kennedy and Johnson administrations, which is true. And I was wondering if I could borrow a presidential daily briefing from the 1960s in the event that its, you know, contents have been declassified. That's all I said. I, I don't remember the wording, and it was not the kind of message box where it sends you a confirmation email with your own email in the body of it, so you can be like, okay, no, I was so- I sounded sober. Anyways. The CIA has not gone back to me about my request. And they're prob like, they're probably too busy, like, just making a quick check on what kind of porn I watch before they answer this question. But the farther I get from the hour of sending that email, and the more I reflect on it, the more I'm coming, I'm coming around to the harmlessness of that inquiry. Like, it's embarrassing that I did that. It's embarrassing by my own standards of how I want to behave, but it made me think of this dude that I used to work with. This dude's name is Pinky. Not really. We're gonna call him Pinky, though. And Pinky hates the fucking government. It is one of his defining characteristics, and Pinky wants it to be that way. Not only is Pinky consumed by his hatred and distrust for all branches of all governments, he wants you to know it, and he wants you to remember it. I have been around when you can see on his face that Pinky is delighted whenever someone says to him, Hey, Pinky, I saw someone shouting at a postal worker yesterday, and it reminded me of you. Pinky loves that shit. He loves to be that guy. Pinky likes to disseminate his anger, and so he very often emails, calls, and writes letters to governors sometimes, but mostly like mayors, commissioners. He likes to demonstrate that he, he despises government so consummately that it transcends the sort of general American malaise and distrust regarding macro-government. He hates micro-government. And if you are a person who is defined by your unmitigated hatred for government, then it naturally makes sense that your best opponent is small local government. Because if you send an angry letter to the White House, it's one of 10,000 that were delivered that day. You're not going to get a response, or the, the odds are one in a million. Your local commissioner, however, gets considerably fewer phone calls than the White House. So they are likely to respond to you, and when they respond to you, they are going to use the tone of a supplicant, because this is a hospitality role, and you are the voter, and they are the elected. Like a, like a bartender. They have to put on the persona of someone who gives a fuck. And what I'm thinking now is that the CIA, it has, to, it has to be the case that they get a ton of batshit email. Especially since they have a website. Like, I know we tend to think of the CIA as like this very clandestine agency that's up to nefarious things and nobody knows what any of it is. And to a degree, that, that, that's not a totally false characterization, but they also have a website and a little box that is like, hey, wanna talk? to the government? Any odd person can fucking email the CIA and just riff for a little bit about what they had for dinner or why they hate the snow, which leads me to think, perhaps wrongly, but I think I'm right, my message was probably in like the top 10 most innocuous messages they received at least that day. One more thing about Pinky though, since we're already talking about him, is that while Pinky defines himself in relation to his great enemy, which is the government, wherever it manifests. And while he does spend hours of his week, either inwardly or outwardly, about his hatred for this commissioner, or that chairperson, or this district attorney, I've always been saddened to observe the fact that his enemy doesn't know he exists. If they register his efforts, his antagonism at all, 
it's as one of the very many faceless, angry emails that they probably get in a given day. And so yes, maybe they're thinking of him as a disgruntled voter, a disappointed voter, but they aren't thinking of a man called Pinky, with his particular nose and wardrobe and family and personal history and skills and virtue and all the things that come to his mind when he thinks of Pinky the man. He is screaming into the wind when he is yelling at these politicians and government officials. And yet it means so much to him that the wind be there to take his voice into and, and let it dissipate over the hills. And I don't know if he will ever have anything to show for this unending battle, except for maybe a few apologetic emails from commissioners and mayors. Maybe in his house or on his desk, he has framed the two or three parking tickets that he argued into reversal. But I wonder if at the end of his life, he will, if he will ask himself whether he accomplished anything by getting his blood pressure so high and hoarsening his voice with all that yelling. I wonder if there's even an answer, if there could be an answer to such an intimate and profound question as, you know, what did my life's work amount to? However, if you do have intimate and profound questions that need to be answered, I know exactly who can answer those questions, and I know exactly how to reach them.